Mr. Eby, it's Mo. How are you, sir? I'm good, Mo. How are you? I'm good, but I'm concerned about you. How is your yoga practice? Are you doing yoga at home? <laughs> no, I'm not. I, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all we can do at our house with uh, kids and uh, two uh, people working, and uh, it's all very full on. And there's not a lot of yoga happening, Mo. Thank you for asking, Mo. Well, hey, you better get on it, Mr. Attorney General, because you promised me that we were going to share space and practice yoga together, and I've been putting in work on my Warrior Two just for that occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about it. And as soon as the uh, restrictions are lifted, Bonnie Henry says it's cool that we're, we're in business, though. I love it. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because even though I love my home practice, I miss my community. So when will yoga studios be open again, and what do you think that's going to look like? Well, my understanding is that uh, yoga studios and gyms are part of phase two, which is uh, rolling out from now, uh, mid, uh, from mid-May to uh, the end of June. Uh, and then phase three is kind of from June forward. Uh, and so what uh, yoga studios and all other sort of uh, industries that are in these different phases are doing are providing plans about how to get back to work to WorkSafe BC and WorkSafe BC is signing off, yes, this meets the, the minimum standards that we need you to have around social distancing and safety for employees mm-hmm. in particular. Um, so it's uh, it's coming along, and uh, and I actually was talking with an owner of a local studio here, and they're uh, thinking that they may actually have a class uh, starting next week, which is oh, wow. uh, remarkable remarkable to me. Um, so uh, so it sounds like that's progressing. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that day, but I'm also looking forward to summer patios. And I was reading in the news about this. Are you basically going to force municipalities to get their act together and help restaurants extend their patios? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there's a lot of forcing to do. I think the cities are. You know, I mean, the cities are there, uh, and they're asking us to uh, work with the regulator to to ease up on the provincial side. So uh, I think we're going to have a really good solution going forward, where um, the cities and the province are going to work together a lot more closely and a lot more quickly on patios, which may be a nice mm-hmm. legacy going forward. Uh, safety is really important. Where the patios are located uh, is really important. Um, and, uh, but so is the economic survival of so many restaurants. Um, and so we're going to do everything we can to support the industry. Okay. And I guess I want you to temper my expectations. Like, are we going to see European style plazas or are we just talking about like a foot more into the sidewalk? How excited should I be about this? Well, that's a great question. And it really is up to the cities. This is, uh, municipal jurisdiction about how big they are and what they look like and, and so on. Um, but uh, as far as the province, if the city's on side in terms of the siting and what it looks like, then uh, then we're ready to provide support that they need to get that approved at the provincial level. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, in Vancouver, it's a little more complicated with the parks. So that would be park board authority if you're going to have drinking at parks. Um, and then the streets and the sidewalks would be the city. Mm-hmm. So we will see some movement, though, this summer. It's not going to be like two or three years down the road for these past. Oh, no, no. This is all urgent COVID uh, support stuff. So we're talking about very short-term um, uh, work that the, both the cities and uh, the province are doing on this. I think everybody thinks that folks are going to feel a lot more comfortable and more safe outside as opposed to inside for the next little while. And mm-hmm. so um, that's, what, uh, that's what we're really aiming for. Okay, I love it because then I can go – do my yoga and then I can get my kombucha on on a patio. It's perfect. 
It, it might be really transformative, Mo. I, I mean, I love the image of you uh, sipping a little kombucha on a patio and uh, after a great yoga class. I, I think it might be really transformative in terms of what our cities look like going forward and and uh, and how things work. Um, there are a bunch of legacies from this that we have yet to really understand what they're going to look like, but this feels like potentially one of them. Yeah. So, hey, I didn't realize that restaurants were buying booze at the same retail price as consumers. Are you committed to giving restaurants the 20% wholesale discount on booze? Yeah, so that, I mean, that was one of the things that really surprised me too. I always kind of assumed that restaurants and pubs before getting into this job would get some kind of a wholesale discount and they mm-hmm. just don't. Um, so uh, it explains a little bit about uh, some of the prices that you see when you go to a restaurant or a bar when you're buying drinks. Um, and, uh, and so what we're committed to do is providing support to restaurants um, we have been working with industry for about a year on a, a wholesale uh, discount uh, system for them. Oh, so even uh, before the crisis, you were... Uh, yeah, we had something called the Business Technical Advisory Panel, and we've been working with them very closely on... Because obviously there's a cost associated. Government makes money from selling the booze at a certain price, and sure. and uh, industry recognizes that. So we were looking for efficiencies on both sides to put together a, a proposal that would work for everybody. And um, And so then COVID hit, and all of those discussions have really accelerated. So I'm working within uh, government to see what we can do to provide that support because what a lot of these business owners need right now uh, and, and unsurprisingly is, uh, is money to run their, to pay their rent and to pay yeah. their staff. There's 180,000 people in the province that work in this sector. And, uh, and I'm really worried about uh, all of their jobs and, and whatever we can do to provide that direct support that allows them to get back to work is critically important. Mm-hmm. So we're we're working hard on that. It's the balance between supporting the businesses and the workers and financial responsibility. So all that costing work and all that uh, discussion is happening in government right now. Sure. So when can we expect that? Like are restaurants going to enjoy that 20% discount by the time I'm out there on the patio drinking a boozy kombucha after my yoga class? Um, so the timing is uh, not set yet. I have to... Uh, uh, um, get <laughs> all of the policy work done with our staff and all of the costing work done, and we have to make sure that it fits in with what our fiscal plan is in government. But uh, but as soon as I have an update for that, Mo, I'll get you that information. But no timeline so far. I can't I can't guarantee any timeline on that. No. Yeah, fair enough. And just to go back to a, a prior thing you said, and, and please excuse my ignorance on this. Why did it take the the crisis to get moving on this? I mean, uh, it was a surprise to me that restaurants weren't afforded a discount because they're buying so much more booze than the consumer and the consumer isn't reselling. So why did this system even exist in the first place? Well, um, amazingly across Canada, there's only um, one other province, I believe that has a wholesale uh, discount. Um, so it's not a common oh. thing. And the, and the reason for that is um, the government makes money from, uh, from selling alcohol at this price. And so anytime you have a government revenue stream, uh, that's established and that's uh, that's putting money into the budgets. Uh, it is uh, it's always weighted against other things. So if you're going to to get rid of hospitality, if you're going to give a hospitality discount, that money is coming from somewhere else. And so when you're talking about schools, hospitals, and other services, right? Um, it's kind of a tough case to make. Uh, and uh, and hospitality has been asking for this for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, and they they haven't seen it. So I I was really excited that we were getting quite close on a revenue neutral plan. With industry, and then uh, and now, uh, obviously, um, we're uh, we're having to revisit some of those discussions and and bring our plan up to speed to recognize that restaurants are in real trouble right now. 
Yeah, fair enough. Well, hey, I know the province also granted temporary permission for alcohol delivery with takeout food, I think until July 15th. Is this going to be permanent moving forward? Um, so the the immediate uh, exception was for um, the period of emergency. It's an emergency order. So okay. we're just in the process right now of uh, putting together the rules around what happens when the state of emergency ends okay. and all of those orders that were made in the transition out. So there's a, there's two pieces to this. One is um, it seems to have gone really well uh, and it seems quite popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, other piece is um, that if we're not careful, we will inadvertently open uh, thousands of new liquor stores across the province um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, we'll sell you you uh, will sell you a hot dog. And, uh, and also, you know, here's, now that we have a hospitality discount, uh, we'll also sell you your beer um, and so on. And right. so the goal is we, there's, there's not, from a public health perspective and from a community perspective, there's not a lot of, of interest in opening a huge number of new outlets for alcohol delivery. Okay. Um, there, but there's a huge interest in supporting restaurants and also around consumer uh, convenience. You know, it's kind of fun for people to order a bottle of wine with their dinner yeah. for some folks. And so, um, and so we're trying to find a way to make sure that we can get the best part of this that's worked really well for people without inadvertently opening a bunch of new liquor stores in the province. Yeah, fair enough. Now, on the topic of liquor stores, I've seen on some of these delivery apps, liquor stores are on them and they're delivering alcohol without takeout food. Is this temporary? Is this permanent? Yeah, liquor stores have always been able to deliver. I think that the, the COVID crisis um, caused some stores to accelerate their or expand their delivery models or just caused people to look and realize that liquor stores do do that. Uh, where oh, we are uh, looking at that might be different is cannabis. One of the frustrations I've had is um, the illegal stores are uh, delivering, um, you know, right to your door uh, right now. Right. Uh, and uh, the legal stores are not able to do that. They're not even able to take orders and sort of have them ready for you when you go to the store. So you don't have to go in if you're nervous about, like if you have a compromised immune system or you're nervous mm-hmm. about going inside because of COVID or whatever. Uh, so that's something that we're uh, having a look at now because uh, um, I think, you know, as, as legalization moves on, the illegal stores are getting increasingly desperate and, uh, and more aggressive. In my neighborhood, there yeah. were a whole bunch of posters that were just put everywhere for an illegal online uh, delivery service. And so we just need to help the legal stores compete uh, and eliminate the black market as, as much as we can. Okay, so we will start to see delivery, home delivery of, of cannabis products from legalized legal stores soon. Uh, it's, it's possible. Uh, so we're doing that policy work right now okay. um, because of uh, a shared frustration that Minister Farnworth and I have about, uh, about the illegal market and wanting the legal market to compete. So we're, um, we're looking at that, and that's an area that, that uh, is distinctly uh, possible that the province will move in that direction, but there's been no decision made yet. Okay, no decision, and I assume no timeline. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Just really quickly, I have to ask, the Cullen Commission, what's the status? Is the public inquiry on money laundering on hold, or is it still plugging along, but with all the social distancing guidelines in place? Um, Both. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's continuing along. They're doing hearings. They're hearing from witnesses. They're reviewing documents, and they're uh, collecting information to begin their uh, sort of more... uh, uh, controversial hearings, I guess, would be the best way to describe them, where um, where people aren't uh, people who are testifying may not be the most excited about testifying, hmm. uh, and they're also going through the non-controversial pieces of just getting presentations for people. Okay, well, what is the current system? What are the current roles? All of that's happening. Yeah. Um, however, 
there have been some groups that are uh, were supposed to be participating that because of COVID are really dramatically slowed down. And one of them is the federal government. Yeah. Uh, and the other is um, uh, some of the gaming service providers uh, in the province who have had all their casinos closed and all of their revenue streams stopped um, are in obviously a really difficult situation right now and they're managing their businesses. Uh, and uh, and so um, it, it has uh, slowed down, I believe, um, some of the activity at the commission, but the commission will plug ahead. It, it's, uh, it's an independent inquiry. They'll collect the documentation they need and they'll do the work they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some participants that are challenged in keeping up with the timelines, that's for sure. Is that going to delay when the final report actually comes out? No, there's been no indication from the commission that they're off schedule. So um, okay. they're, they're continuing along. Yeah. They're all working remotely and uh, they have remote document review materials and they have all the capacity to work uh, uh, in the pandemic uh, without social contact. So they're fine. Okay, cool. Hey, did you ever get those documents from Mr. Wilkinson's office? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, they have uh, agreed to disclose all of the cabinet uh, documents to the commission without edits. And it just took, uh, just took three months. <laughs> you did it. Congratulations. <laughs> we got it done. Yeah, yeah we got it done. <laughs> and of course, they always intended to do it. They reminded me. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Cool. Well, Mr. E.B., before I let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that my dad, Mo Sr., he's one of the most politically cynical people I know, but he told me to tell you that he has never been so impressed with a government as much as he is impressed with this current provincial government. He told me to tell you it feels good to have a government actually working for the people. So that goes for you, Minister Robinson, Bowen Ma, Minister James, Minister Dix, the whole BCNDP caucus, and of course the Premier himself. So that is from Mo Senior with his sincerest gratitude and enthusiasm. Well, that is, uh, that's great. I am I'm absolutely going to put that on a campaign flyer. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell uh, Mr. Mo Senior that I very much appreciate uh, the uh, the endorse. I will pass it on to the people who really deserve it in the crisis are obviously Minister Dix and, uh, and the Premier and Bonnie Henry. Absolutely, I will. Thank you so much for taking my call. Take care of yourself and your lovely family. Be healthy, my friend. Thank you, Mo Jr. <laughs> Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye.